Hello, my name is Dickie Dodd. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to the latest edition of the Hartlepool United podcast. And I'm delighted to say that, as well as the usual suspects of myself, Mark Simpson, Director of Football Craig Ignat, and Chief Executive Mark Maguire, we're also joined by our brand new manager, Mr. Richard Money. Good afternoon, Richard. Good afternoon. You dragged me in from the cold. Absolutely, yeah. This might have been a deal break if you'd heard about this podcast before the uh, the ink was dry. Might, might this have been a. Uh... It might have been worth a few more quid in the contract. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, just a light-hearted look at, uh, at things that have gone on. Um, and we'll start, obviously, with the big news this week and, and your appointment. How thrilled are you to be here, Richard? Um, yeah, really, really thrilled. Um, as I've said, it's, it's, it's a club that is, um, you know, has big potential. And it's a, it's, a job, it's a job that I've genuinely felt that you, any manager in my position would like to get hold of. Um, and um, and see what you can do because there is an opportunity here to be successful. Doesn't guarantee anything, of course, but it helps. I think if you can if you can manage a club where you generally think that there's something you can achieve. I was interested in the line you said in your press conference the other day. You always felt like this was your job in some ways. From the moment that Hartlepool were relegated, you you saw you had your eye on it, thinking that might be mine one one time. Yeah, it probably came across a little bit um, different in terms of how I meant it to come out, what I meant was that the moment they got relegated, I felt that, you know, if you could get hold of this club, yeah. there would be a chance to, to to achieve something. And Mark and Craig, obviously you went about this quite exhaustive, diligent, but very swift as well recruitment process. How have we found it? How, how, uh, how you know, smooth was the whole couple of weeks that we had? I think it was it was relatively smooth. It was um, it was good fun reading the speculation in the papers <laughs> and how how inaccurate for the large part that was. I think that the main thing was we started off with a, a very clear mind in terms of the no, no kind of pre- preconceived ideas about who we were targeting, who we were looking for, and were welcoming a, a really high quality of applicant. And and then when it came down to the actual interviewing process, the chairman. Um, wanted to narrow it down as much as possible because they thought the more the more you interview, the more confusing it gets. So there were kind of two tiers of interview though, the, the ones that Craig and I did. Um, and then we, we did a kind of concentrated shortlist, as it were, that we did with, <coughs> with the chairman. Um, we wanted to interview a cross-section, so more experienced, younger managers, people in work, people out of work. Um, to challenge our thinking really and I know it's been sort of well publicised previously that there was talk about the profile of manager somebody could grow with the club etc but we thought it was really important to challenge our thinking in that respect and I think it's safe to say that as soon as we sat down in those interviews um, and Richard was was one of the more experienced candidates who came along and then he really challenged challenged all of our thinking and very very quickly with the things that were said um, during that, that first interview, it kind of focused our minds on what the job in hand was at the club, fitted in very much with what we wanted to do, and it, it became very obvious very quickly that this might be our man. And Higgy, you've been at both sides of the table in terms of management interviews. You know, 
how how quickly were you very impressed with the with Richards? Well, uh, listen, within five minutes you knew. Um, we didn't even have to go in the league or the squad or anything like that. You could you could just tell. Um, you know, I've sat in enough and, and heard enough people who who can flannel the way through interviews to know that that wasn't the case with Richard <laughs> at all. He had a, a very clear picture of what was needed at the club. Uh, he knew our squad, he knew the league unbelievably well and the success that he's had in it um, goes without saying. So he ticked an awful lot of boxes for us. And and like Mark says, within we, we realised very quickly that he was probably our man. And obviously, when you go into a new job, I suppose you want to hit the ground run. How much work have you managed to get done already this week? We've cleaned the office, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> I, heard, I heard that was you. If <laughs> <laughs> they lead by example, you know. Um, and the training ground. Yeah, uh, and the training ground. Yeah, en- enough. I think um, we've. we've, we've have to be very mindful that there are one or two knocks at the minute, mm-hmm. bumps and bruises, and big program coming up. So, whilst there might be a, you know, a real urge to get out on the training pitch and and uh, spend a lot of time out there, we have to be very mindful of of those things. Um, so, just want to get them fit and well for the Christmas program, and try and bring one or two in to help us through that process. So we spent quite a bit of time. Uh, Craig and I and Tommy talking about uh, possible targets mm-hmm. uh, who can help us um, but also being very mindful of the fact that try and see as much of the team and also Leamington for the weekend um, and Craig will tell you I fully intended to go this morning and have an observing brief but it took me about 30 <laughs> seconds for that to change <laughs> <clears throat> so no, I mean it's really good to be back on the training ground I think sometimes you definitely forget and fail to understand just how much you miss it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was really pleased with what I saw this morning. I can't say any more than that, really. Um, and probably what I thought that there's, that there's enough in the group to to do some good work with them. Um, and if we can bring one or two to make us a bit stronger in depth, but also one or two who can come and make the first team better. Um, then, you know, who knows what can happen. So, we've got four game, five games coming up in the league very, very quickly. And, you know, I like periods like that. Yeah. It's a good time for someone like me to come in because you, you can see them very quickly, um, see a lot of them very quickly in the heat of the battle. But also, if you can have an effect, and sometimes there's a bounce and sometimes there isn't, but if you can have a bounce, five games in a short period of time means that Come January, the table can look very different to what it is today, but we have to do that, of course. And you mentioned, you know, the other day that having the FA Trophy game as your first game in charge is possibly ideal because you can, you know, the pressure for league points isn't a hundred percent there. Although it's a competition we'll want to go far in, you know, the the, the pressure for league points isn't there this weekend. I think it's it, it's definitely a, definitely a, an advantage. Um, and you know, I've already come out and said how, how important I think the game is at the weekend. And I think if you've been to Wembley and won this trophy, then you know that it's something you should really strive for. And you know, I've been trying to make that very clear to the players, and will do between now and, and Saturday. Um, but as I've said, we've got five league games coming up between now and 
January 1st. So if there are one or two bumps and bruises that we need to protect, then maybe this is a good week to do it. Um, and it gives one or two a chance to come in and play who, uh, who probably want to show me what they can do. So um, there won't be many changes and there'll be as few as we can make. Um, but if there's anyone that would benefit from not playing this weekend, then we'll certainly think about it over the next 24, 36 hours. In terms of the FA Trophy, I was listening to BBC T's coverage after the press conference the other day, and they, they had a report run from BBC Cambridgeshire, who was obviously took, reminiscing about the time you took them to the FA Trophy final and won there. And he was telling a story about how you'd gathered the players before they went to get their medals, and just said, remember this feeling, because we want to have it again in a couple of months in the yeah. playoff. Can you, can you remember that? That must have been some moment. Yeah, I mean, look, <clears throat> we... Um, we felt pretty confident that we were going to be in the playoffs. I'm not, I don't know if it was assured, but we were pretty much almost there if we weren't there. Um, and probably weren't going to catch Luton, dare I say it. <laughs> um, so we knew that if we were going to get promoted, we'd have to win at Wembley. And um, there's absolutely no doubt that going there and winning um, helped us two months later because... Um, they could get. They got all their pitches out of the way yeah. on that occasion. Yeah. So when we went the second time, nobody was bothered. Bothered. That's not true. But you know what I mean. We didn't go there as tourists yeah. to look around the stadium um, or take any pitches. So that was all done and dusted and out of the way. So the experience was 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 crucial of actually having been there. But the experience of winning and walking up the steps, the vision, the visual. It's it's. I think it's big. Um, just before we move on from sort of pools news, uh, one thing I did want uh, to mention was Tommy Johnson. I know that uh, he served the club as physio for many years. He served Middlesbrough's physio as well for many years. A hugely popular character. Um, I was talking to Brian on about him saying that he had he had a heat lamp and he had the North Sea and they're his only real instruments in terms of a, a physio. But he was a fabulous fellow from what I uh, I understand. Well, Tommy was someone who I've known for years. Um, lovely, lovely man. Loved his football, um, played football in, in countless teams, talked about football constantly. Uh, he was my physio at Middlesbrough when I first signed there and he was there for a load of years and looked after the lads unbelievably well. But a lovely, lovely man, loved his golf. Um, in fact, me and um, Tommy Miller went up to see him yeah. recently. Uh, he's in a, he was in a home up in uh, Blackhall, I think he was. And we went up and we had a, an hour with him and it was a lovely hour where we were just talking and reminiscing and Tommy was telling us his stories um, and it come out of the blue really we were speaking to people up there who said listen he's at 92 he's still there doing his dancing he said he's he's as fit as anyone there so it come as a bit of a shock um, and he, he will be very sadly missed I mean I don't know if you remember the story he tried to come up here didn't he, he had a, a pool table he was <laughs> that was the only time I met him he came tries. up to see me and, and said look I've got a pool table if you want it the club wants it I want to give it to the club no one else um, but what a lovely, lovely man, um, and what a again, you know, a fantastic human being. Will be sadly missed by by a lot of people. Absolutely, the thoughts of everyone at Hartlepool with with all of Tommy's family. Moving on, we're going for our moments of near brilliance now. So for Richard's benefit and anyone who hasn't listened before, this is one of our regular features where we sort of look for those instances in sport, in life, where something's almost gone absolutely perfectly. And then at the last minute, it turned out to just be a little bit rubbish. Um, 
we've asked for people to get in touch. Um, we even asked the new manager, but he said everything he did in football was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so that screwed that one up. So we'll we'll have to you know soldier on with our own moments of near brilliance. Now, Craig, I know you've you've served us up a few moments of near brilliance from your career. Um, more, I've run out. But I mean, we have dagging them at home. Well. <laughs> I don't really want to go into that. It's fresh. Um, it's too fresh. It's still, I'm still wounded from it. It, it has wounded. We, me. we won on Saturday, so we can laugh about. We that. did, yeah. Can't we, we did. No. Um, okay. But you know, we. I, I made a. I made a sub Saturday. Actually, I put Paddy on, and the first thing he did was put a header to them and put them right on the attack. Yeah. And I'm thinking, here we go again. Um, and didn't you say? To and Jed then I turned to Jed yeah. and I said, "Look, should we put Tyrone on? Nico's struggling a bit." I won't tell you what Jed said to me, but <laughs> <laughs> safe to say we didn't make any changes then. Um, but listen, it was I was devastated uh, last Saturday. And as a manager, you know, Richard, I know you live and die by by your substitutes sometimes, um, and we certainly died by that one. But listen, you live and learn, don't you? And we we crack on. And I was just thankful that the next week we got a, a really positive result and and a similar performance. So that was that was pleasing. I know you. If you've not already watched the Dagenham game, you're planning to watch the Dagenham game, and I don't think even you'll see the twist at the end coming because we were so dumb. Have you had games like that in your career where you think, "And this is just in the bag, we're going to win," and then suddenly it's ripped away from you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was. I could tell by the expression on his face that was what was coming. <laughs> I remember we had one. We had a, near, a moment of near brilliance at Hartlepool in 2006-7. Uh, yeah, but see, that was another example of it, you know what I mean? <laughs> we nearly won the title. Yeah, and Walsall. The Walsall won it. <laughs> Thankfully, we won Manager of the Year. <laughs> yeah, that wow. was a moment. There's a manager of the year, bro. There's a moment in the year. You must have expected to win that that year. Yeah, I did. And it was, it yeah. was. A, we've talked about it before. I mean, what a what a yeah. season that was for yeah. because Hartlepool broke all kinds of club records that yeah. year. But Walsall still finished above them. You yeah. had an amazing season there. Yeah, it's always a bit of a strange one there because you know the the voting takes place not at the end of the season, but yeah. during a period where Danny was obviously in the middle of a great run. You were you you'd gone in front of us, but we'd been in front for most of the season, probably up until January yeah. at least. Um, and then, you know, on the last day, we probably thought we weren't going to win it. And we only drew, actually, at Swindon. Didn't win. And got in, you know, came off the pitch hearing that Hartlepool had lost the last game. And we pipped you to the tail. And I must admit, I went to the LMA dinner that night thinking, never even dreaming that I wouldn't win it. It's probably the first year in history where the winner, the winning manager, didn't win it. <laughs> so, yeah, OK, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> Should we just rename this counselling yeah. session? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if you've seen, we spoke to Chris Westwood who played in that title winning yeah, yeah. side for the, this, yeah. this, for the website and he said, and I'm, you know, this is his words, I didn't put them in his mouth, he said he, you're the, one of the best coaches he's worked with throughout his whole career. That must be nice to hear from former oh, players. I always knew he was a good judge. He <laughs> <laughs> was a good pro, wasn't he, as well, Chris Westwood? Good I player. always knew he was a good judge. <laughs> <laughs> it's for Nelson. Nelson, what a goal! Michael Nelson! 3-1 down, 4-3 up. Michael Nelson, the fourth player to score on his debut. An absolute rocket! So moving on to the next bit, uh, the general football discussion. Um, and I mean, this week it's seen a, a change at the top of the Premier League, which I'm pretty sure you're pleased about, Richard. Liverpool at the summit in the top flight now. Does that put a smile on your face? 
Very much so. Um, I wasn't sure whether City were ever going to slip up, to be honest. Looking unstoppable, don't Yeah. Um, but I must say, and I watched watching the game, I didn't think Chelsea would get out of their own half in the first half. Um, but they played very, very well in the second half. And, um, you know, it was important for Liverpool. If you're Liverpool and you sat there with the number of points that they've got and they're not, and the second, two points adrift. You're probably thinking, you know, what what can we do to get in front? Now they're in front, it turns around quite a bit. Yeah. You know, I know they've got a big game this weekend, and Man United at home is always a really big game for for both clubs. So it's a big weekend the other way round, and Liverpool make, need to make sure they don't slip up. Um, but you were, I'm beginning, you were beginning to think that the draw against City at home wasn't enough. I know everyone walks off the pitch yeah. thinking that's a good a good result. Both game, both teams were very sort of, I'm going to say negative, but very conservative in the way they approached the game after the you now the matches they'd had against each other last year, and probably both walked off the pitch relatively calm that they'd picked up a point apiece. But it was beginning to look like the only way Liverpool were going to win it would be to beat Man City twice. So, um, and that still might be the case. They might have to go to my um, listen to me, Main Road might have to go to the Etihad and win. Um, but um, it makes it interesting, doesn't it? Because they certainly look a super team, Man City. But Liverpool are not too bad themselves either. And I think the Europe, I think the Champions League victory in the week will give them another boost yeah, because definitely. certainly the result in Belgrade made life very difficult for them and very uncomfortable where maybe it shouldn't have been. But and I said to Craig on Tuesday night that I could see them drawing that game and going out, which would have definitely given them a knock. Mm-hmm. But now the big boost, and you know they might bring one or two in in January. You never know. And I know that puts a smile on your face because you love to see Jurgen Klopp laughing, don't you, Mark? No, no, no. Listen, I, I I get a bit wound up by. by. Now, I guess I guess my struggle with with him, and and I'm, I'm a little bit more worried about the number of uh, scousers or or imitation scousers we've got around here at the moment. To be honest, <laughs> oh, we're gonna have to re, we're gonna have to redress the balance <laughs> a little bit. Ian Scobie was on the board; he's a big Liverpool fan. We've got yeah, we Craig, we've got Richard Money. We should have probably int- introduced that as a question in the recruitment <laughs> process because I'm, I'm seriously mm. concerned now about the way these podcasts are going to go. It's going to be the the Anfield Rat Part Two or whatever they call it, but. Now, I, I, the thing about Klopp for me is, and there was all that stuff last week with him running on the pitch, it's passion, it's whatever, but it's the, f- for me, he he comes over as this kind of really, and, and the football he gets them playing is unbelievable, and, and I'm a fan of it, and I guess there was a massive hope when he first arrived um, for me that he was going to bring kind of freshness and be that manager who didn't go down with the same old cliche, the same old negativity about decisions against them, etc., and, and for me, he's kind of gone down that. So he's great running on the pitch when they won at the last minute. But is he, if somebody else has scored a goal and is run, running on the pitch in the last minute, is that kind of slight contrast which gets me a little bit irritated <laughs> on occasion, shall we say? Because you don't get worked up in the games. Never, no, I'm perfectly <laughs> you're, you're fine. You're fine, aren't you? Yeah. I had no words with the Maidenhead directors <laughs> no, at last all. weekend at all. No, 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 nothing at all. The thing that strikes me about Liverpool is that everyone feels like they've just got this amazing attacking talent and that, but their defence this season has been superb as well, hasn't it? Listen, when you add a goalkeeper of the quality that Alisson is, and a centre half the quality that Van Dijk is. But are you surprised it's, even that the, the, the impact? No, is? no, I'm not because 
they're obviously world class players. I mean, Van Dijk strolls around like a Rolls Royce. But because of that, because of the confidence that the back four have got in the keeper now, you're seeing Joe Gomez, who's coming on leaps and bounds, who's now one of the best centre halves in the Premier League, playing with Van Dijk. I don't think there's a better two for me. Um, you see the Alexander Arnold, how he's come on, and this is this is what happens when you get world class players at your okay, football Okay, well, this is just uh, <laughs> we love Liverpool, aren't we? And this maybe brings into the next thing about there's Sterling. No, there's, stuff. There's, there's loads more to talk about. <laughs> there's loads more. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> we should do Let's a podcast on oh. Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. oh, dear, because of, of how we can learn, so the, I mean, the we thing, can learn off them so much. The, the, the thing about the Klopp thing, and it brings back to maybe the Raheem Sterling stuff this week as well. But so if if Jose Mourinho, and I'm no Man United fan or Mourinho fan, mm. but if Jose Mourinho legs it into the middle of the pitch, what's the press coverage like? What, what are they going to do to him? They're going to probably destroy him. What did he do when he done it for Porto? I know it wasn't the middle of the pitch, but it was right the way down at Old Trafford, wasn't it? But he was popular at that point, and mm. they've decided to... I think there's an agenda for courses. And I think <laughs> they just get agendas, don't they? I think that's yeah, the but I think if you, if, you, if you are spiky with the press, then they're going to wait and buy the time and be spiky with you back when the time comes. Mm. And really? I think that's all sure the time. that? <laughs> <laughs> and you probably know better than anyone. <laughs> but that's what they do and that's what they like. And, and I think if you're going to be that way with them, at some point in your career, you've got to expect it back. I think, that the, I, I think on occasion they pick their targets. Who do you support, Mark? Stockport. <laughs> They were talking very highly of you in the week. Yeah, they were. <laughs> 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 oh, another moment of neighbourhood. <laughs> but move, moving on to the former Liverpool player Raheem Sterling and all the Ferrari that's gone on this week, uh, if we can dip our toe in the water of that one, it's um, it's quite a complex issue, isn't it? But people are saying it's a, a look back to the bad old days. But then the counter-argument of that is, did the bad old days ever really go away? I mean, what's our take on what's happened, what, what Raheem Sterling posted on, in, on his Instagram account? Has he got a point? I think, I think he's brave and I think he, he has got a point because I think the treatment of him over the summer was pretty appalling. And I think yeah. with the, the nature of the way people communicate with social media and the people find it acceptable to maybe pick up on those criticisms and then when they want to shout something at him in in the heat and passion of a game, then they're going to pick up on those things that they're remembering if they've been given a picture of the lad. Um, a false then, picture. A false well. picture of the lad. Then that's maybe what, what comes to their mind and that's what they start to shout and scream at him. And it's, there's obviously no place for it in football whatsoever. Um, and credit to the lad for standing up and saying what he said. Yeah, because I was watching Monday Night Football and Gary Neville and, and Jamie Carragher went into it quite deeply and, and, and Gary Neville made an interesting point. He said, you know, that yeah, over the years, the likes of Beckham and, and uh, you know, the players in the middle of the field and have been vilified over the years by the press. But when they were doing something well, they were hero worship in yeah. the press, whereas the likes of Ashley Cole, when he was bad, he had to escape the country and go and play abroad yeah. because the, the, such was the treatment of him. And it does seem like maybe there isn't something, there isn't a level playing field there that, that needs to be further addressed by. I know Kick It Out have done such, some wonderful... But have you, have you had experience of this all the years, either of you? Have, have, have you actually experienced any instances of racism? At well, I was, I was at Liverpool um, when John Barnes signed. And his, his first couple of games, I remember the first derby game, the, the treatment that he got was was outrageous, really. Um, and how he carried on, 
and done what he done, I don't know. Because um, he was an unbelievable player. But the, the stick he got, certainly in them earlier years, before all the work's been done, before we've tried to re-educate people, um, was was phenomenal. But not just him. I think there was a lot of black... You know, I'm, I was quite friendly with Howard Gale. I don't know if yeah. you've come across Howie. How he, how, how he played in the semi-final. Yeah. Brought so him on. Howie had, had put up with all kinds through his career. You know, talking about him, Gary Bennett as well, who were up at, at Sunderland together for a spell. Um, Gary tells a great story about when they both got sent off at, at Newcastle um, and Gary can tell it far better than I can but he said the stick that the, the both of them got was um, was ridiculous um, I think it is a lot better I think you've still got idiots who who will vent their anger and it's it's not just racism it's it's abuse in general to people um, yeah I think one, one of the interesting people things people are so angry yeah. at football matches well, yeah. it's frightening one, one of the interesting things for me though because you hear for, for example when Sol Campbell was appointed at, at Macclesfield and the, the, a lot of debate and talk about black managers and whether they get a fair chance and stuff I've been involved in football for 10 years and I can genuinely, genuinely say that when, whenever there's been a recruitment of a manager, whenever players are being looked at in terms of potential recruitment into um, on the football side of things, there's never, ever, ever been a discussion about somebody's race in those conversations. And so it feels like, and maybe that's just the experience I've had, but it feels like within the game, mm-hmm. it's not even an issue or a talking point. And yet on the fringes of the game, there's this stuff which continues and goes on. And yet obviously football becomes the focus of it. So it's a really interesting one for me. I think it's very difficult for, for us as white people to really sit and understand just how difficult it obviously is for a number of black people in the game. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, people like Chris Shooten is a good friend of mine and, you know, they talk about issues that when you sit and talk to him, it, really? He t- you're not even aware that these things yeah. happen or even exist. Yeah. But they obviously do. So... It's it's a difficult one for people, you know, people like us in the game to to really understand, because unless you're black, you don't really experience it. We actually we've had one this season. I'm not going to say the club it was, but it was. Remember when we were down and with the chairman and we were sitting there and yeah, the no, true, finished. yeah, yeah. The chairman um, was on the receiving end. It was true, yeah, it's true, yeah. Um, and it was. It was yeah. a man thinking he was having a joke. I mean, and, and it, it goes back to what you're saying, where we we mm. sometimes are oblivious to it. Yeah. So we'd we'd drawn a game, hadn't we? Yeah. Down there, um, I think England were playing India in the cricket, weren't they? And and we'd got a result wherever we were. And then just at the end, this, this he was quite an elderly gentleman, wasn't he? He had turned to the the chairman, looked at the chairman, and said, "Well, at least we won the cricket at him." And we we thought nothing of it, but no, the chairman started but laughing. To, the chairman was, he was laughing yeah, at him. Was more, um, and obviously his son was there, and and his his son-in-law or his uh, nephew-in-law. I think the, the the as concerning for me for someone with uh, this incident with Raheem is when you look at the pictures and the way that these people their faces when they Con- say it, contort- never mind what they say, yeah. is. Just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. That's that's the problem in society, isn't it? The minute it seems that except say Raheem Sterling turns around and says, "Oh, shut up!" There's a big Ferrari about. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's reacted to the crowd. How can he do that? They're paying his wages. 
And it seems to be this imbalance that they can scream whatever obscenity. I heard Chris Waddle saying a similar thing. He said even in his day, you know, they were just screaming abuse when you go out to get a corner ball. It's, or, and it's not... Listen, it's, everyone has, has an opinion. Everyone's disappointed and everyone can shout negative stuff. It's the personal mm. and the anger that they shout it with. That's the problem. You know, you, everyone can shout, oh, that's rubbish, oh, that's this, that and the other. But it's... The personal stuff for me is the stuff that needs stamping out and, and how angry people get. Um, and it's not just at the big clubs. It, it happens all over the country. At most clubs, you always get one or two idiots who overstep the mark, show personal abuse, and make it hard for the rest of the people around them sometimes to go to games. Yeah. Certainly the younger people, you don't want them scared off. Um, yeah. You don't want kids being frightened to go to games because they're scared of, of what people are shouting in the stands. Yeah. And that's wrong. If, that, if it ever gets to that stage, it's wrong. Humphreys, half away, here comes Robertson, and Robertson, oh my goodness, cue the hammer, you will not see a ball hit any harder or better this season, boy what a goal. The final part of the, uh, the show today is our Mythbuster section, um, and I suppose the biggest myths that have been doing the rounds online or the biggest rumours that have been doing the have been all about who the new manager was going to be. We've had everybody mentioned, um, you know, lots and lots of different rumours about which direction we were going to go into. But until the manager's appointed, I guess that's exactly what they are. Aren't they just rumours? No, I think as we said earlier on, we quite enjoyed seeing the the misdirection essentially um, in terms of people going down the the wrong route. Um, and, and listen, people always get inside information, don't they, and believe they know what's going on. For, from our point of view, the main thing is that we had a very open process, a very um, a process which I'm quite proud of that we we did very professionally. Um, communicated with all of the the candidates who were shortlisted throughout in terms of letting them know timescales, etc. And there, there's been stuff out there sort of alluding to the fact that we didn't know about clauses in people's contracts, or we were told people that we'd preferred them and this sort of this that and the other. The the reality is we treated everybody in a really even-handed fashion we as I said earlier we interview people in jobs out of jobs experienced um, new on the block as it were um, and, and were really open and straight with people and it was a decision which was made between Craig the chairman and myself we, we knew after the first interview I think that we got our man um, if he wanted us um, we needed to do a bit of due diligence on making sure it wasn't going to be too much of a pain in the backside to work with and all that sort of stuff. <coughs> Spoke um, to the wrong people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and as you can tell, in recent days, he's paid the guy from Radio Cambridge. He's paid, he's paid his ex-players. He's got a wide network of people who, related or unrelated to Liverpool, are going to say good things about him. So we ended up with with that. And so, so we just needed to check those things over the couple of days. We we let the rest of the shortlist know that we were going to be meeting on Sunday to make the final decision. But to all intents and purposes, we knew by then. Um, but we we spoke on Sunday and then confirmed the appointment Monday. So it was very straightforward, very, I hope, very professional. Quite proud that we kept it the way we did. So any rumours to the contrary are exactly that. It was actually a day later. It was the Monday. Was it? Monday, yeah. Okay. And then Monday evening. I want to know what you were doing all last week, because you never even, or the press never even gave me a mention until Sunday morning. Yeah, that so means I was doing my job well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well battered. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did keep it really quiet until did, yeah. the morning of. Amazing. Yeah, the, or the day of it. Yeah. It was. Yeah. So from that point of view, 
we were obviously doing something right. Yeah. Uh, and we were speaking to the right people, obviously, because yeah, it, it didn't get out. Yeah, that's good. So now we know we trust. <laughs> well, one really weird rumour that I heard, I suppose I know where the, the root of it came from, but it's quickly picked up pace on, on other social media groups, was that the players just uh, went to Ireland for a training week last week. Mm. Flew out to Ireland and had a week training there. Yeah, Absolutely was, wide of the market. Yeah, think. that was a weird one. They went for one day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and they were back for the Monday, so... Um, it wasn't a training week. It was a it was a, a Christmas party. For Christmas like, you party know, the, yeah. the players went, had the Christmas party. Came as a really good time. Thank goodness they've already had it. Yeah. <laughs> Would you have yeah. let them do that? I'm not answering that question. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd have had the Saturday they did, you'd have said, "Go on, have a couple of days." Yeah. Um, so they went and and you know, well behaved. Everything was was fine. Came back and obviously won on Saturday. So. Um, that was that was a good thing because if they'd have lost on the Saturday then there could have been all kinds of fingers being pointed and we'll just finish if we can Richard we've had a few just a handful of questions come in from supporters uh, who, who knew they were joining the podcast so I'll just throw there's nothing particularly tricky don't worry I don't think <laughs> uh, one in from Jackal on Twitter he says do you think that Ryan Donaldson is uh, better than the last time that you managed him um, ask me that question in a month <laughs> no seriously he did well for you though didn't he down at Cambridge listen uh, we generally felt after the Man United game that he would go back he would go on again um, and I'm not saying his career is stalled because Plymouth good club come back here good club um, but I genuinely felt that he would go back up with the way yeah so um, but it hasn't, for some reason, quite happened for him. Um, and look, I'm really pleased that he's here. You know, um, because if he wasn't here, I'd probably try and sign him. <laughs> Saves you a job, right? Okay. Next one is from Hamish McGonagall, and he said, uh, "What does Richard think about the use of statistics and expected goals in football, and any ways to take for a team like Hartlepool to utilise them?" No. Not for you. Not for me. Easy answer. No. Um, Jack Wheelhouse says what do you think will be a realistic target for the end of the season in terms of the playoffs top half and is a cup run something you'll be going for with the FA Trophy starting on Saturday well to the second question definitely yes um, and to the first question um, we genuinely think we can challenge you know but we know we have to get going and we need the supporters help big time over the next month to give us a push and Grant Scott Johnson asks a similar thing about targets, but he also mentioned, do you, what do you feel that you can do differently to the last few managers who've produced a very similar product here at Hartlepool? What? Difficult to answer fully, <coughs> I suppose, without knowing exactly what they produced. I think, look, exactly. And I think it's, a, it's more about the... Uh, I'm very... Craig will show you. You know, came in yesterday, cleaned the office. You know, like a clean sweep, start again. Um, and... So I'm, I'm really big on the environment that, w that we create. Um, I'm a bit OCDC over that, details. Right. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, we, you know, uh, and I think it's making sure that the players are on board with what you want to do because, um, you know, my experience is that they, they work better when they've been involved in the process. Um, 
I've got a pretty good idea of what it want it, what I want it to look like, and hopefully they'll say the same thing to me. And if they don't, then I'll try and gently persuade them, <laughs> like <laughs> Theresa May is trying to do. <laughs> I think we've got Brexit and Oh no, it's been at least an hour since the Brexit. <laughs> Imagine if Brexit was in Liverpool, you'd be in the Ireland, wouldn't you? Yeah. We wouldn't mess it up. So, <laughs> environment, people, um, and, you know, I, I don't want to say it's about playing style or anything like that because I don't, I'm not sure it is too much about that, if I'm honest. Um, but, as I've said in the press conference, we've got to try and find a way to play that suits the players we've got um, until, you know, get time to to put down a marker of what we think we want for the future. So it's just generally trying to make the best of what we have and getting every ounce of value out of the players, things that we do. Um, and I think details, you know, as I've said, I do think details are important. Well, thank you very much. Is there anything else that we want to add on the end I'm of this? I'm just going to dust this microphone if I could before we go, because it's a bit mucky. <laughs> <laughs> Right, well thank you for listening <laughs> to the latest edition of the podcast. Richard, Mark, Craig, thank you very much. We'll see you again next time. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you.